0: Hey everybody, I'm Eric Tornberg, co-founder, partner, Village Global, a network-driven venture firm. And this is an episode of Venture Stories, where we deep dive on topics relating to tech and business with some of the world's leading experts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Venture Stories by Village Global Podcast. I'm joined today by Sankarshan Murthy, CEO and co-founder of Bumblebee Spaces, and Eric Klein, partner at Lemnos Labs. Welcome to the very illustrious Village Global Podcast.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having us.
0: Awesome. Well, Sankarshan, do you want to first introduce Bumblebee Spaces? What do you guys do?
1: Yeah. So at Bumblebee, we make space using robotics and AI.
0: Awesome. Eric, do you want to introduce what you do at Eric Lemnos Labs?
1: Lemnos is uh, the premier early-stage
2: hardware venture fund. Uh, we're based here in San Francisco and have been investing almost exclusively in hardware startups for the last uh, seven years.
0: Cool. So... Eric, right, what do you tell us first? What you what first drew you to developing and Incursion that, that led you guys to invest?
2: So, number one, we are always driven by great entrepreneurs, and so we got the opportunity to meet Incursion and his and his team, and said, independent of what you guys are doing, you guys are great entrepreneurs. But this particular um, idea, I draw back you know to, our, to my childhood almost. Right? I think a lot of us grew up in what I'm going to call the the Jetsons era. Right? We watched the Jetsons. We watched we we had a dream of what the future would be like, and one of those dreams was you know, the Jetson's house, which was this house that was smart and intelligent and interacted with you and was dynamic. It could change. And I mean, you know, so we saw that as kids, but you know what? That that future hadn't come to us. And so someday, you know, one day uh, we were introduced to St. Carson and he says, I, I have this vision and we're like holy cow but grounded underneath this you know sort of this emotional idea from from even from my childhood is is the understanding of the urbanization of of the entire planet right how many of of citizens of the world are going to live in small urban environments for whom you know maximization of space is incredibly important i'm sure you've got um, you know amazing statistics on it and then around that just the intelligence at this idea of not only maximizing space you Robotics, But I was particularly drawn to the intelligence associated with that as well, knowing where it is. I always tell the story, my son plays travel hockey. And like any other kid, it's five minutes before we have to go to hockey. And I'm like, all right, get everything together. He's like, I don't know where anything is. And I'm like, go get your gloves. It's like, I don't know. Imagine an environment that you're just, you just ask it where things are and it's presented to you. And the business models and opportunities that came off of it, the minute, you know, St. Carson started to explain this to us, my head sort of exploded and I was like, oh my gosh, we've got to work on this. So that's how the introduction happened. But really. I think it grounds into some, some important trends that are happening in the world and, and, and it's a really a needed solution. And just cause you mentioned it, can you say more about what business model excited you? Yeah. So when you look at the business model side of it, just the upgrade model, so to speak, like when I go into a home today, you know, when you, when you, when you, whether it's a condo or apartment or a home, you're often presented with the opportunity you want upgraded, you know, upgraded refrigerator lab. Well, yes, I would love a wolf or I'd love a sub zero. I'd like to make, you know, I'd like to make choices that give me more options or more functionality. And so we knew from a a business perspective, that's pretty straightforward, the opportunity to add more intelligent cabinets in essence. But behind that is this idea that, that that system, that intelligence, I think unlocks really interesting ideas in the future about if you, the homeowner alone, Knew about what was in your environment. I always say, like my my wife, like we have a we have a house and I have an attic, and I'm like, Anne, what's in the back of the attic? And she's like, I have no idea. And I'm like, we've had stuff up there for years. What if we knew what it was and we could say, Hey, it's up there. I don't want to use it. Let's put it up on next door. Or, hey, by the way, um, I don't want to run around my house with a camera to take pictures of 9 million things for insurance. There's all these interesting things that open up if a system knew what was in your home and knew its utilization. But to do that, you have to build something like Bumblebee. So the opportunities of knowing that, knowing, you know, what you have in your home, the objects in your home, and what you do with them, I
0: think if you, you just let your mind run on that for a couple of minutes. It opens up lots of interesting venues. Yeah. So, so say more about you know, as you navigated the idea maze around housing, around space, around robotics, why this idea? How has it evolved?
1: Right. So, you know, I yeah, I came from India, like where communal housing, like living in tight quarters was pretty like I was used to that. And uh, I remember my cousin's house, like we used to share three of these houses, living within within the footprint of a two-bedroom house today in 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 US. And then when I came to the US, it was it seemed like there's a lot of space, you know, a lot of like spread out houses are spread out. Single family houses are fairly common. And actually, I was working at Black and Decker. I remember my first house that we were able to buy was right behind the campus. In fact, when like if, if you were an intern at Black and Decker between two thousand six to th- two thousand ten or some some period there. You probably worked on my house as with like testing out your power tools, right? So it was, it was one of those project houses that I bought behind in Black & Decker. And I understood all about kind of the, uh, the bomb of the house, how our house is built. But then when I moved to the Bay Area, this location premium became very obvious. What would have been like, you know, like how big uh space I had, like three bedrooms and all this excess space. And then you come in here, like my, my rent here was higher than the mortgage there for a one bedroom house. And I, that was not even like a luxury one bedroom. It was just like a typical one bedroom in, in the, in Silicon Valley. And suddenly, like we are st- starting to get creative around space, right? Like just using more volume, like trying to downsize things that like life hacks that a lot of people end up doing today. And then. This idea of using volume better was kind of always in my head. And there were a lot of things that need needed to be enabled to to use the built environment a lot better because everything today we pay is in two dimension. Like we pay for dollar per square foot. What we pay for is not the wood, the drywall, the glass. It's really what you're paying for is the location. It's this uh, location premium, right? So ended up kind of prototyping a very early version of it in in my garage. It was it was very uh it was very prototyping in the sense that uh it was crude in the we we looked at okay we should use three-dimensional space which means start using the Z-axis then ceiling is obviously a really good plane to leverage. And ceiling is interesting because there's various things happening. One, if all ceilings are plain, boring you know things and then Number two, there's a bunch of building codes already written around ceiling. There's things like things that you can hang off, how much structural load you can put there, how much, uh, what kind of electricity you can draw there, what you know, how far you need to be from sprinklers or garage door. All these things kind of exist around around ceiling. So start prototyping something in the ceiling as really. Uh, saw so, a uh, way to solve my space problem and somehow convinced my wife to put it in the kitchen and that was kind of the beginning of the early stages of the company where we thought why aren't people using the using the ceiling or using volumetric space a lot more efficiently at home when space is such a premium and then we started kind of building on top of that yeah and eric i'm curious as you guys
0: have evaluated the housing you know, opportunities all sort of throughout the ecosystem how you sort of What other investments have you made, you know, in the surrounding space or how have you sort of subdivided, if you look at like a market map, made sense of it?
2: Yeah, so we started years ago looking at BLS data or Bureau of Labor Statistics data. And the government, you know, whatever your opinion of the government is, they generate great stats. (laughs) And some of those stats are an incredibly detailed analysis of every job in America, every job. And then inside of that job, the percentage of that job, like they break down what that job is. And it gives you hints to automation. And inside of that, years ago, you could take a look at markets where we know in 2012, you know, sort of immigrant labor peaked in the United States. And so there's a lot of jobs that, you know, if you look at the labor opportunity... There's an opportunity to bring in applied robotics, a very simple robot, to help augment that task. So years ago, we started looking at that. I think the interesting thing about this is it's robotics, but it's not labor replacement. Mm -hmm. So this is the fascinating thing. We've made a number of investments around labor augmentation, labor replacement for markets where, where the labor is just massively constrained. This is an opportunity to actually purely enhance and this is one of the things that I think is most exciting about this applied robotics opportunity. What Bumblebee is doing, this has nothing to do with an individual. This is about improving an, an end user's life, improving the quality of their life, giving them again more space. And so we've looked at opportunities where robots can be, you know, very efficient in augmenting human, ca- you know, human capital or human labor. This is a case where the robot is really affecting an end user in a, in a great way. Um, so I think it's exciting, and it's a, it's a, a. a bit but, you know, a lot of what you see with robotics right now, again, is really focused and it's going to generate a lot of you know discussion around its impact, again, on jobs. Yep. This is isolated away from that and is really about using robotics in, in, in interior space and really, you know, again, I think you said it's like taking everything 2D and starting to think 3D. So I, that's, that was exciting to us because it's a dimension that we hadn't invested in as much. But, again, the core economics behind it, the core team, everything from a venture perspective—we're like, yes, this is this is right up our uh, right up our alley.
1: Yeah, I think robotics. You're right. Like most of it, uh, replacing repetitive labor, replacing dangerous labor—they're they're all important. They and they solve a very important part of the problem. But the way like this is, I see it as like this collaborative robot. It's an assistant. Mm-hmm. That that gives you access to something that you hadn't used all these days. It's your third dimension that, you know, the half the money in like productive cities goes straight to rent. So this is, this is a universal problem, right? So that's, that's what we want to solve it with our robots.
0: Zooming out a little bit. If if you said that you two were starting a, uh, your full-time focus was starting a fund that was you know, focused on applied robotics. And what would your thesis be or where else would you be looking for, for opportunities And what would be interesting and what wouldn't be interesting?
2: Well, again, I think there's a, there's a interesting formula I had an entrepreneur explain to me recently that I actually really like, which is uh, imagine value, you know, in sort of your numerator and then sort of in your denominator, really talking about the technical surface area, the degree of difficulty for an applied robotics task. And then times that by the market opportunity. And it's a very crude way of thinking about, you know, can a robot help here? Which is how difficult is the robot to build? What's the value that it can change? Very simple. I mean that's just simple value creation. Yep. but really applying that and and I, I think the thing that that again, I'll, I'll go back to looking at like Bureau of Labor Statistics data, you can it, it doesn't take a genius to do this really. If you take a look at that data, there are just markets that are massively labor constrained. So this isn't this arc of mm-hmm. labor constraint robotics. and you literally can map those. you can find out how much of that job is automatable and then figure out how difficult it is to do from a technical perspective. And someone, you know, mainly the government, augmented with some, you know, interesting sort of private equity data and other things you might, you know, get your hands on, will give you a roadmap to apply robotics in terms of, you know, using it to augment human endeavors. That's a roadmap the government built for you. More or entrepreneurs
0: the should be looking at that.
2: Uh, every entrepreneur should be looking at it, and I we share it freely. Like it, it, it's just it's just data, and it's free. The government wants to give this to you. I think the you know on on the other side of this equation is I think a great venture person has got to be looking for the bumblebees, which is this thing that you know it doesn't show up on the BLS data, but it shows up in macro trending. You've got to take a look at that other data, and and again, what, what St. Carson and his team found is is the glo- the pressure for global. The pressure for urbanization. We talk about smart cities. We talk about uh, these tiny houses, right? What's the what's the average size of like these the like the urban like apartment?
1: Well, average size is kind of loaded because there's one bedroom, two bedroom, three bedroom. In in general, two bedroom tends to be forty percent of the inventory, uh, which is about closer to nine hundred square foot. That's that's around the Bay Area, right? And, and we live in a, we live in a, a right. blessed bubble, let's say. It's true. And, and some, some cities are much more, much more progressive in how far they're willing to push it. But that's also comes with a lot of compromised user experience. The smaller you go, you know, as soon as I tell somebody, oh, 600 square foot house, you already imagine how small the house is and where your furniture will fit and how cramped up the space will be, right? Versus when you start thinking about it in cubic feet, it's a, it's a whole new world, you know, you, you don't really, it, 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 it opens up the possibility of it, this room can have a full living room, a full bedroom, a full kitchen, a full mm-hmm. yoga studio, but not at the same time, not on the floor, right? It's just as long as you're able to bring the experiences when you need it and rest of the time it's stored away, but easily accessible, retrievable, almost Almost without any interface, like poetically just like comes to you when needed that that's the home of the future ambition. Well, I think if
2: you take that home of the future and pull it back to your you know to the question or it's part of I mm-hmm. think an important part of what we're going to call smart cities. Right. Part, I mean, what do you do in your city? What do you, what are you at? You are in your home at least eight hours when you're sleeping. Hopefully I get your eight hours of sleep. <laughs> but when you're sleeping, when you're living, and that's the quality of your life is so driven by that. And then from there, I think you're going to see autonomy and this intelligence extend into, and, and we know it through Uber and Lyft and others. And even let's take this out to Bird and Lime and others. The transportation you use to move from home to work. And I think, you know, and I'll play way out in the future, you know, St. Carson will probably smack me here, but, <laughs> You know, um, what, what's being talked about in the home, what we're talking about maximizing space, there's no reason over time you couldn't bring that same thing to to uh, flexible work environments, to, to other environments. So, again, it's, it's really about the efficient use of space and in the double meaning of the word, adding intelligence to space in the
1: mo- in both figurative and literal sense. Right. So, yeah, it's interesting that you brought up the globalization, urbanization. It's, it was actually, if you look at it, early 2000s, it seemed like the suburban would, the sprawl would be, would continue and the cities would die. That, that was kind of the, the economists kind of predicted the there's the kind of the decline in the cities. And because transportation's becoming easier, you know, you can, you can, you can commute now, but that's not the case. Actually, the way I, we've approached it, Let's build the future we want to, instead of like trying to fit it into the future that that is happening. Let's try to squeeze, like build the future that that we want to create in the in the world. Which homes and neighborhoods? That's that that's where a lot of value will be created because if you if you live in a walkable neighborhood in a place where you want to live, you you uh, where you can thrive. Cities are actually better for the environment because you know instead of having a lot of commune sprawl, you know more. More pollution and more surface area that you're taking over. If you lived in cities that are more livable, walkable, that's actually better. So that's the future. I I think that's, those are the opportunities. And like whenever people say smart cities, it's mostly like old city with a data layer on top or just a connected layer on top versus there's now opportunity because robotics are at a level where you can actually do things. You can, I, I see a whole new world where you can start, um, using the physical world, like change the physical world and make it a city that we want to live in, right? So and when you say city, we, we want to live
0: in, I guess by, by what, what values or what metrics or what KPIs are you optimized
1: for? In the in, in the future? I mean, definitely number one is quality of life where it's quality of life for uh, everyone living in the city. And then there's also this... As measured by. As measured by, I think one, like there's the the economics, like how much you're yep. spending to live yep. in the city. That's like number one. And then there is also kind of the opportunity you don't want. Today you'll see this beautiful spaceship campus and in the same frame, trailer parks of cars parked uh, on, on the street. And that... That seems like a dystopian view of the world. Like that's that's not what where I want to live, right? So it, it'll be good to see equality, but everyone can afford and live in like comfortable places. I think it's an interesting boil down. You had a statistic.
2: It said that fifty. I think it's fifty percent of all people on planet Earth
1: will live in an urban environment mm-hmm. by a particular year, and it's not that far away. It's right. It was it was twenty four. I think it was twenty forty as the pre- prediction. Yep. I think it's getting sooner so imagine half half of the global population lives in a a dense
2: urban environment not everyone gets to live on fifth avenue in the nice penthouse right they they have let's say 900 square feet or less imagine if you could take every one of those people and make them an offer right for just a sort of a limited upgrade versus what they pick for their home they could go for their for their place they could go from one bedroom to two bedroom just a very simple equation what if i could tell you i'll give you double the square footage or a third more of the square footage And I can do that. I can upgrade your place or you can have it built in. Imagine what all I mean, a a third, you know, 50 percent of the world's population. Let's carve that off by, you know, some number. That's still a lot of people telling them, I'm going to give you way more space. Right. And then, by the way, it's not only just more space, it's more intelligent space. It's what you want when you want it. That, I think at the, like, for the me at the core was a real driver when thinking about Bumblebee is that scale. Like, you know, when venture folks talk about scale, right? They're always like Tam and Sam and Sam. We love yep. to throw our TLAs at each other, but take, take half the world's population as your target audience because that's where they uh, half the world's population is going to be in dense urban environments. And most of them are not going to afford a 2,000 square foot or 3,000 thousand square foot penthouse on fifth avenue right we i gotta walk up in brooklyn i gotta go four flights i got one bedroom it's crammed
0: but i love you know i love i love brooklyn but i could totally use a little more space (laughs) have you invested in any other companies that are trying to enable this new version of cities so we look a lot uh, it in in terms of autonomy in general as an
2: example another one of our investments is marble and marble's looking at at last mile What i'm going to say logistics And we had this, we had approached this exact same target audience, which is, you know, you've got a Whole Foods, it's, you know, five blocks down, five blocks up. And those are New York blocks, full blocks. It's a little bit of a walk. And, you know, you want your packages to arrive, you want your food to arrive, but, you know, you work and it's like, how do I get the package to that individual? By the way, there's stairs and the doorman doesn't want to take any more packages and Whole Foods wants to get it to you. But if you try to put a car on, you know, on Fifth or any of those major streets, in the middle of the afternoon, it isn't going anywhere very fast. So really thinking about how we're going to change in these urban environment, last mile logistics, that delivery. Hey, I want things when I want them. Like, why can't the package get there right when I'm arriving? You know where I am. The phone knows where I am all the time. Now let's, let's, let's be clear. Why can't the package just sort of intercept me and say, Hey, I think I'm going to be home about seven o'clock. Why don't you have that thing right at the stoop right before I go up the stairs? Thinking about that world. I think we've also looked at some of the other opportunities in smart cities, but you know, with the domain expertise that Lemnos has where we really focus on hardware and, and robotics and some other areas, these are in the wheelhouse for us. I think some of the greater things about traffic optimization and some of the other areas, there are other great firms and, and folks who are tackling that problem. But this one and the one, you know, and, and, and zooming into
0: Bumblebee is, is definitely uh, was, again, in our wheelhouse and something we're excited about. Say more of it's a question about how you're thinking about or how macro trends you see playing out in the future, whether it's housing or cities. And one of the things you talk about is is people are going to own way less stuff,
1: right? Yeah, I, I think that. I think there is that. There's, in fact, like the IKEA COO, I think, wrote this article about the end of stuff. So you know, people the consume like I want to keep consuming more and more is kind of trending down, and I'm seeing it like you know, like definitely I prioritize my life and the people I hang out with, they have prioritize experience more than stuff. And, and that I'm seeing that happen quite a bit. It's becoming, I'd rather live in San Francisco in a great place than own a large house with multiple bedrooms or whatever. So, uh so that, that trend that there's a minimalism, but not there's also this aspirational minimalism where it, it would be cool if i could own less but like you need some stuff to survive and that's that creates this like home is full of these landmarks you know you you have for example you have a bowl for your keychain and bowls it's on a table and the table occupies it's a 25 five dollar table but the 10 25 table occupies 10 square feet and suddenly with thousand dollars a square foot you're you're landlocking all your home, uh, for this one, uh, you know, landmark that you're creating. So you, uh, we're definitely seeing this minimalism, even though, uh, I think that's catching on. You know, like there are, there are trends that you hear and then people search for, but really when they want to act on it, there isn't a lot of built environment isn't changing with that. And that's, that's what we want to influence. We want to create these flexible spaces where of grows with you if your family grows if your living situation changes the the home actually can flex with you and kind of adapt and then as you like want to downsize it can like adapt back you know you can just like flex back and forth that's kind of the vision of where this can go i'm going to
2: go counter on it just a second i Mm -hmm. I think And again, you had this statistic that that struck us that, that Americans, now, and culturally, I think different cultures apply different values to material objects. But Americans have, what, two billion cubic feet of storage space. (laughs) We are, I love to say this, I love this phrase. We are weapons of mass consumption. I think, I think it's Lily Allen has a song, a British pop singer. You know, we are, we are weapons of mass consumption. The funny thing about that is, is some of that's needed. Some of it's probably junk. I don't, I'm not passing judgment on it. But the interesting thing is that's, you know, a lot of that storage is offsite. It's not available. The thing in the back of my, my attic, if I want it right now, it's an hour and a half to get to it. If it's offsite in the storage, it's at least a couple hours, even if you want to send over a truck and that truck just, you know, is owned by you in a direct route. There are things that I, I want to use infrequently. Christmas. Christmas only comes on, you know, one time a year. It's Christmas. It's Hanukkah. It's that time. It's, we are going to do that thing. My son's hockey stuff. It's going to come up. It's going to go down in the summer. We don't play as much hockey. Flexibility. That, that idea that if I do have stuff, I want access to it. And I want the intelligence to know, hey, do you know what? You you don't really use that. You haven't asked for that thing in a year. Mm -hmm. Maybe you should think about that. Um, Maybe that leads to minimalism. I mean, you know, Marie Kondo will tell you one of the first things you gotta do is go through your whole house and decide whether you love something or not. You gotta give it a big bear hug, right? right? Part of that process is just knowing what you have, right? It's, it's that audit, that inventory. And I think, you know, when putting things into the Bumblebee system, it knows what you have. And over time, it can offer you minimalism as as a function of frequency, which is probably the way, that's exactly what Marie Kondo, you know, what most space people will say is, Tag it, bag mark it in some way. And if you don't use it after a certain amount of time, you're probably never gonna use it. Yeah,
1: but right. how do you know? Yeah. Why don't someone it. do that for me? I'll have Bumblebee <laughs> do it. Exactly. Me. This AI butler take <laughs> care of, you yeah. know, like managing your inventor instead of it's it's overwhelming to think about what what do we use and it's overwhelming to start the purging process. You know, it's in theory, it's great to be minimalist, but it, in practice it's very difficult. Using Bumblebee in my own house and seeing just these minor nudges of what I'm using, what I'm not using creates, creates such a powerful thing for me to manage my own inventory. But now I know, like, with real data, you know?
0: Eric, I'm curious, where else in hardware and robotics are you, are you really excited about application-wise or, or looking to invest in? And I think, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs out there were looking to build, you build a company in the space. Where should they be? Looking or, or seeing opportunity. anything but
2: Tinder for cats. <laughs> uh, I don't do software. <laughs> you know, it, again, I, I am really drawn to the mundane, the boring, the thing you don't see. It's it, it's not going to get written up in TechCrunch until it gets so hot that you you know, can't avoid it. But if you if you unpeel that statement. As an example, we invest in a company called Dishcraft. And Dishcraft is focused on washing commercial dishes. And, and you're like, well, hmm, that's okay, What's it's, it's one of the crappiest jobs you can ever have. If you've ever had that job, you'll never want it back again in your life. We can't get anybody to do it. The people who wash dishes get paid more than line-level, uh, entry-level shops. Because they're so in demand, because migrant labor, the only people who would even do that job, there's just not so many of those folks in America anymore due to, you know, current political environment. But if you think about it, at the back of every restaurant, the back of every hotel, everywhere, dishes get washed all the time. And if the dishes don't get washed, plates can't get rotated back into service, restaurant quality suffers. Those sort of things. Construction, I think, is another area that, that a lot of folks are looking at and saying it's it's just you know we are constantly building things. We take them down, we build them up again. We've done it the same way for hundreds, if not you know nearly thousands of years. How do we improve that process? It's mundane. It's the, the the person up on that roof with a nail gun, just putting in shingles all right. day, bang 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 bang. Right? Is there anything we can do there? Again, it's it's not sexy. It doesn't make tech crunch, but these. Behind the scenes efforts that are going on, I think are, are very important. We're drawn to them. excavation but uh, uh, another one of our companies is build robotics. Mm-hmm. Automating, for instance, you know when you, when you have a single family home and you want a basement put in, someone comes out there and digs a hole. Um, that, that pole can only be dug during the day. It's relatively, you know, it can't be done during certain weather conditions. All this stuff that robotics could change. And so all of these areas, in addition, and we'll also, of course, invest in the sexy things. I, I put Bumblebee in that category, Elroy Air, our you know, Autonomous Air Cargo Team. But, you know, I, I would say to an entrepreneur, the data, as I mentioned earlier, is in front of you. Just applied robotics or, you know, we use the word applied very carefully to say, where I use robotics to solve a singular task. I'm not trying to in the Jetsons world that the you know Rosie Ro, Ro, Rosie's going to take a little longer yeah but Bumblebee's got your you know when when the room changes out that's Bumblebee but thinking about those singular tasks that we can use to augment labor or cut or just change quality of life that's what gets us excited and again the data is there to hunt down to find where those opportunities are. And, you know, the, the challenge is trying to find the greatest value
0: with the easiest robot to build. Like again, classic thing. What's the least amount of effort to solve the biggest problem? I was going to ask you that because it's, you know, you could just get a landing page up in a weekend, but robot is different. How should entrepreneurs be thinking about testing ideas and testing? Oh man, you got to tell your testing story.
1: I mean, we, you know, first of all, we were bootstrapping for a while and, uh, we started with like a very crude version of a you know, it took a bunch of dual drills because I used to work at dual and some combination of like horse and uh it was that was like the first prototype of what we built and then it was not sexy, it was it 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 was loud, it was ugly. And then my co founder like come and came and like completely redid the architecture and now it's 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 this super home friendly quiet, fast, rapid, you know, so it, it took a while to iterate and we've been working on it for, we just hit our one year mark at uh, Lemnos starting March. So we've been, we've been at it like a little over a year now and we've built six generations of prototype and being at Lemnos is like really great. Yeah. Just for hardware, we can iterate super fast. There's a common, like a machine shop. We can all share Uh, other CEOs are going through like similar things. There's common contractors, uh, that we can use. You know, there's a lot of common resources that we can, uh, we can pool and, uh, make the best use of. So that, that way we were able to really iterate and get the product out into, into real world use. And, uh, we've shipped one, like one full bumblebee home and now we're shipping three more coming up in summer. So pretty excited.
2: Yeah. The thing I would say is if you think back to the internet revolution and, and the years that have come by, Nowadays, if I have an idea, I can pop up an AWS instance, you know, jam, jam on some code, pop something up, and I'm, I'm up and for up and running and prototyping in, 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 I'm going to, I was going to say hours. Let's, let's be generous. A day or two. The, what, what happened that was magical in the last five years for robotics is that the, that same cost reduction and ease has started to happen. Uh, you know, literally today, if you wanted to build a prototype in your garage, you can go grab an Arduino board, get a motor, a motor shield on the top of it. Drive some motors, write a little bit of simple code. By the way, most of it's up on the net, on the net and GitHub, and you can start to move things. And that scale up from there into what I'm going to call, you know, real commercial prototyping with TensorFlow, with systems for ML. It's it's now both a, I'm going to say inexpensive relative to hardware. It's measured in thousands of dollars to build relatively sophisticated prototypes. With off the shelf components, stuff you grabbed out of GitHub, stuff you got on Adafruit or you pulled it off a of mouser or ate, you know, you know, for any sort of distribution house. And you can try the idea and you can grab a soft, you know, and you can grab a software person to help you with backend. I mean, your team is both hardware and software folks. I mean, hardware is a misnomer as a term, right? It's really the intersection of hardware and software, but that prototyping to try. Hey, I want to. I want to, you know, I want to build an automated, you know, weeding machine. Well, you know, uh, with FarmWise, you know, they literally went out and built one on their own. Two, in- two software engineers. A-, a lot of hardware entrepreneurs didn't come with hardware experience. But they can get it going from a prototyping perspective, prove the idea. And then capital will come in behind it and say, all right, let's upgrade that thing. Let's bring in the pros and really build it out. But that prototype, people shouldn't be afraid of prototyping hardware. You were none of our entrepreneurs, even though they came from very diverse backgrounds, not all of them were hardware engineers. The barrier to entry and the cost to entry on the prototype shouldn't... per you know, stop an entrepreneur from saying, "I want to try. I just right. want
0: to see if it works." How do you, as a firm, think about think about emerging technologies, blockchain, or it's VR, like and the intersection of hardware and everybody? I, I'm I've been blessed to have been here for 25
2: years now. I was an early employee at Microsoft, as an early employee at Apple, and and I what I always say is, I'm I'm the benefit. My generation is the benefit of just 25 years of serial on you know sort of invention in the sense that we created the desktop computer, which then we're like, let's shrink it. We made a you know, we made a laptop and then we say, hey, let's shoot it again. Let's hit it with a shrink gun, right? Going back to the Jetsons analogy. All of a sudden, Shazam, we have a phone, we have a tablet, but it was a linear arc. The thing that I find amazing right now is, and, and even if you look at those technologies, AR, VR, it's an independent vein. It's HMI, human interface. That vein is a trillion dollar transition. For the first time, we're going to be able to use new senses, new input methods. That's happening simultaneously with blockchain. That's happening simultaneously with applied robotics. It's happening simultaneously with bioinformatics. If you you know, even if you don't believe in the singularity, we're definitely to fix something into gear here. We're you know, again, instead of just applying the shrink gun to something and and, and enjoying the benefits of that. These are all linear things. And then the, the exciting thing is the combinatories. All of a sudden blockchain and what blockchain does to logistics is massive. Everyone talks about it. The blockchain is going to impact all of those segments, right. right? Robotics, if you look at AR and robotics, everyone thinks of robotics as just this, you know, like binary shift. One minute the human does it, the next minute the robot does it. It's about augmentation. It's about putting robots into environments humans can't be involved in. And VR and AR are going to be very important for remote service and maintenance. We still, our mind is still incredibly powerful, right? Ask any AI person. It's going to be years before we get to, you know, really general purpose AI. So we can use specific AI to help on tasks. Mm -hmm. We're still going to need to put people and robot robotics together. Bumblebee does it in this just amazingly uplifting way for your home and your environment. But I think when you mix these technologies together, you just, you, the the combinations open up again, massive number of new companies. Yeah. I couldn't like, I couldn't be more excited. You know, when I came here, I moved here, you know, and I was young and I was just like, I'm in nirvana, like I literally, I was just, I, you know, I slept under my desk, we all did it, right? You know, and, and I thought the world was, you know, this just amazing, you know, just sort of streak, and now I'm like, holy crap, it just, it went parallel on
0: me. Yeah. And there's a lot of blockchain, how, or subliterature, and how, you know, machines via micropayments can, you know, facilitate much more, you know, seamless transaction. I'm curious. Have you invested in any company at the intersection of blockchain and, and hardware robotics or, or any of these more emerging ones?
2: Yeah, it, it's funny. One of our companies, Prism, is is actually looking at the intersection. And I'm, this is this is how far things go. He um, built this thing called the play table. And the play table is really to bring. If you're a gamer at all, you know Steam, right? Mm-hmm. Steam brought DLC and and gifting and all these things to, to virtual games. If you look back, you know, to board games, Monopoly, Risk, card games, they don't have any of that DLC. So he started by building a table that would give you that. But then he was like, well, wait a minute. The blockchain extended out for physic, both physical, tangible, and intangible objects allows tracking and trading in a way that, you know, we think of for currency, right? What are we doing with blockchain and Bitcoin? We're, you know, we track ownership. What about unique items that are generated in world? How do I transfer them between people? It's the used game problem that GameStop has. So he's been thinking about using the blockchain to track unique items and how they're traded and won and lost in games and interact and and thinking about that. And that's just one small example. I think when you look at logistics, I mean, we're going to, we're going to radically change that. And I I think when you go into other areas, as an example, uh, I'm a, I'm a self-driving, you know, basically autonomous car. I pull up to a fuel station. What if it's not in my network? We're going to have autonomous vehicles basically making charges on their own because it has a job to do. It has to get from here to there. It's out of network, blink, blink. And it needs a, it needs a full transactional record of of a transaction it made with no human interaction to fulfill a logistics transaction. So, I mean, blockchain, I think, you know, to me, it permeates the system, but it permeates the system in a way for me. I, you know, I, I started as a software programmer. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is just transactional records with with full authentication. I mean, if I try to boil it down into <laughs> something simple, but that's needed everywhere. So, yes, blockchain, I think, permeates through this. And I think that idea of autonomy sort of furthers that idea of blockchain, because when things go autonomous, what you really want is to be able to look back both for good reasons and bad reasons. Hey, I just want to know what happened here. Oh, wow. An anomalous event occurred. I need a certified record across multiple, you know, sort of environments, multiple vendors. What the heck was happening? Right. So I think, again, at a root technology, massively important.
1: Yeah, on the the prototyping, I do want to add, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting Like we things in like specific AI, specific prototyping, like Raspberry Pi and Arduino, like we, it's so easy to like stand on the shoulder of open source community today and really turn around things. So, you know, like even if you're using blockchain or some elements of AR or whatever, you can quickly prototype these things. And connected to the phys- physical world, it'll take you from zero to one pretty fast, and then it'll be iterated, iterated, iterated before you ship. That's the like hardware. You can't. The, I think the barrier to shipping is a bit higher than software. Just remember to commit your changes back, folks. Give it back. Pay it forward. <laughs>
0: right. So, in closing, where can people learn more about Bumblebee and Lemnos? And any advice for people, you know entrepreneurs out there, investors out there who are looking to uh, do something in space?
1: Yeah, with, with Bumblebee, we've still been in stealth mode, but very soon in summer, we're we're going to have a, a formal launch. Uh, but in the meanwhile, if you want to reach out, it's hello at bumblebeespaces.com. And from the Lemnos side, we're
2: at bc, so lemnos.bc. And my advice to uh, entrepreneurs is there, there has never been a better time to do hardware. Hardware is hard. Do not get me wrong. If you, you know, wanted to look at something, you should really think about it. But again, it cost wise, complexity wise. Never been a better time to go. And then from an investor perspective, I would say again, you know, the, the thing that you know we were just talking about, it's just a fascinating time that these new technologies have become affordable. Mm-hmm. They're accessible. And it's the golden age. I think we're going to look back in 10, 15 years at companies like Bumblebee and Built and Dishcraft and go, wow, those were the Facebooks, those were the Twitters of that timeframe. They were the companies that had the technology and an open market field to play in. Right? Over time, there's no question people will backfill in into these you know markets but someone's got to create them and so many markets applied robotics ar br they're being created right now so as an investor i say go as an entrepreneur i say absolutely
0: this is this is a again a golden age awesome well thanks so much for coming on the Global Podcast. podcasts was fantastic have a good one thank you